Well, we're in the middle of a series right now where we're learning from the Bible and from people who lived in centuries past what it means to have a deep, relevant, personal relationship with God, right? Not a relationship that's rote and perfunctory, but one that is really life-changing, one that we, where we sense God's presence in our lives on a regular basis, and we know what God is saying to us in life. Last week, as we were in the middle of this series, I talked with you about what it means to be radically obedient to Christ, right? We talked about from Francis of Assisi's life, how he was so radically obedient to whatever God called him to do and what that looks like for us to be radically obedient. But th- here's the question I want to ask you this morning. What does it look like to be radically obedient when you don't know what God's saying? I mean, have you ever been in a place in your life when you just knew you needed to make a decision, an important decision in your life, and you're like, I just wish I knew what God would have to say to me right now. Right? How many of you have ever been there? You, you want to hear from God. It's, it's really important that you hear from God in a, a major decision in your life, and it's like crickets, right? And you just don't know, well, God, what are you saying? And in those moments, we want to like, you're like, come on, God, you know, speak, you know, pray more, maybe even fast, give up a meal or two. It's like, what do I have to do, God, to get you to talk to me? Right? What do we need to do to truly hear the voice of God in our lives? And what do we do about those times in our lives when we think we have been hearing from God and everything gets disrupted? Have you ever been there? One of those situations that comes along in life and just completely slams the door on all the things that you thought were the perfect plans for your life? Maybe an accident or a diagnosis or a layoff at, jo- at your job, or a divorce. Something comes along and it just hits you like a ton of bricks. It's like, God, what gifts? I, I thought I was tracking with you. I thought I understood what you had for my life. And now I-, I don't even know if I can even hear from you. I don't even know how. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, I remember from m- my last days before I went on sabbatical this summer was the memorial service we did here at Grace for Ken Veter Sr. Ken Veter was an amazing man to me. He deeply touched my life in a lot of ways. He was a very strong, independent, no-nonsense kind of guy. And maybe if you've been around Grace for a long time, maybe you encountered Ken, you knew Ken. Um, It was hard for Ken in those last months of his life to surrender to God because he was bedridden and he just it just drove him nuts and he would ask over and over again why God why why do you why are you making me be here he really wanted to hear from God he really wanted to understand and he couldn't understand it he tried to live a good life he tried to follow God but he would be one of the first people to have told you that sometimes it's really not easy to hear the voice of God in your life right I remember when I was visiting with him, I had just actually read a a little biography about a guy by the name of Ignatius of Loyola. And I was telling Ken about this guy at at the time when I was visiting him at his house because he had so many similarities to this guy named Ignatius. Uh, This guy, Ignatius, was a soldier, like Ken was, a veteran. Uh, He was bedridden for a big chunk of his life uh, with a debilitating... um, illness and uh, yet he was a Christian and he was very he was very much fearless in his life he he he, wanted, he too wanted to hear the voice of God in his life yet sometimes struggled with hearing so let me ask you this morning what does it take to hear the voice of God in your life 
is it really just a matter of being, is it just a guessing game? Is it just pray the best you can, read your Bible, try to get as much godly advice as you can and just hope for the best? Or are there truly ways that we can hear the voice of God in our lives when, in it, when we need it in any area of our lives? You know, as I went on sabbatical, I took some time to study three men's lives, three people that I was directed to who had tremendous walks with God over the last 1,500 years of church history. I studied their lives. I studied everything about them. My heart was to come to know what made them tick and what made their relationships with God so strong, so alive, that it not only completely changed their lives, but the lives of everyone around them. And of the three people I studied, the one that actually impacted me the most, was a surprise to me, was the guy I want to talk with you about today. This guy named Ignatius of Loyola. Ignatius spent much of his life learning and teaching people how to hear and how to know the voice of God in your life. He believed that every Christian could know the voice of God in their hearts. He had no doubt in his mind. As we're going to see today from his life and from the life of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, is that as we listen clearly to God, we come to know his heart. As we come to know the heart of God, he molds our passions, our priorities, and even our perspective in life. But let me tell you a little bit about this guy named Ignatius of Loyola. Let me set this up for you. Ignatius was a guy who was born in northern Spain, in the Basque country of northern Spain, in the year 1491, just the year before Columbus set sail from America. He was the youngest of 13 kids. He was born into a noble family, yet his, both of his parents had died by the time he was age 16. Now, he was, based on the time that he was alive, he was a contemporary of Martin Luther. And while Martin Luther was in Germany, and his mission was to somehow reform the church, Ignatius' heart, as he grew into manhood, was that he would help people to learn to be contemplatives in action. That they would hear the voice of God, and they would act on it. But as I said, he was from a noble family. He, was, uh, he, he lost both of his parents by the time he was age 16. And as a young man, uh, he, just weeks before his dad died, he was invited by the treasurer of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella in Spain to go and stay in the castle and to be a royal page for the treasurer to Ferdinand and Isabella. I mean, these were the ones who financed Columbus. And so he thought this was a great honor, and he just totally jumped on this opportunity. So he went, to the, he went there, and as he was going into his later teenage years and his early 20s, he was completely wrapped up in his job. He was completely wrapped up in all the prestige that it was bringing him. He was wrapped up in his appearance and being a ladies' man. He was into gambling a lot, and uh, everything kind of changed for him when King Ferdinand suddenly died about seven or eight years after he had had this job. And when King Ferdinand died, he lost his job. And in his 20s, he's like, well, what am I going to do now? My parents are gone. My job's gone. What am I going to do? So he decides, I'm just going to be a soldier. I'm just going to fight. That's what I'm going to do. So he signs up for the Spanish army. Picture this. He's 29 years of old. 29 years old, he's in Pamplona, Spain, in the fortress there. And he and this small band of Spanish soldiers are seeing the French coming, and they're getting ready to attack Pamplona. They're just, they've decided they're going to take Pamplona back for France once and for all. They're totally outnumbered. 
the commander in the fortress is like, he's like, there is no way. We're not even going to try to fight these people. There's no way. We're all going to be slaughtered if we do. So let, we're just, we'll wait for them to get here and we'll just surrender. Ignatius, as this young, idealistic 29-year-old says, no, commander, that's a really dumb idea. We can fight them. We can show them that you know, Spanish people can fight. And he convinces the commander to not surrender. As the French come through and just completely blaze through this small army, destroy the fortress, during this battle, a cannonball is fired, and it hits Ignatius in the leg, completely shatters his leg, his knee, his hip, and he's sent home to recover. His leg is a mangled up mess. The surgeons try to work on it, try to fix it. They, uh, at, before he is sent home, they, but he, as he starts to recover, it's growing back crooked. He is, he, again, he's a courtier, he's a ladies' man. He's like, I am not going to look like this for the rest of my life. So he actually asked surgeons to come back to his home, break his leg again, to saw it down so that it would look good for the ladies. He almost dies because of this decision. In fact, for several days it was touch and go. He's lying in this bed for months recovering, just restless. I mean, imagine being 29 years old and this has happened to you. Everything, all your hopes and dreams that you keep having for yourself just keep getting messed up. He asked for some books to read. He asked, he asked his, his, his family members, are there any books you can find about chivalry? Because again, this is all in his head, right? And they couldn't find any, but they find a book about the life of Jesus, and they give that to him. He's like, I don't want to read that. They give him that, and they also give him a book about the lives of Christian saints who had, been, who had lived before him, people like Francis of Assisi. So after those books sat there for a few weeks, he finally gave in, and he's like, i got to read something. So he starts reading them. And God touches his heart, and he surrenders his life to Christ. Finally, after months and months of recovery, he is able to walk again. He's able to get out of bed, and he's like, I've got to figure out what my, God's plan is for my life. I, I've done tried twice now to figure it out. It hasn't worked. I'm going to figure this out once and for all. And so this, again, military kind of a guy, idealistic, idealistic kind of guy, he decides, you know, I'm just going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I'm going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, and I'm going to hear very clearly what God has for me. No more of this guessing for myself. So he makes his way to Jerusalem. But on the way, he stops at a monastery known as Montserrat in eastern Spain. And he goes there to pray, and he goes down to the altar, and he spends some time praying, and God hits him and touches his heart. And in that moment, he hears God call him to give his life to the ministry. He, sur he leaves his sword at the altar at Montserrat that he held so dearly. He actually takes off all of his military garb and he swaps it out for beggar's clothes. There was a beggar outside the monastery and he swaps clothes with him. He walks to a nearby town and, he, uh, and starts living the life of a beggar for a while and he starts feeding the homeless feeding the sick, taking care of those who are hospitalized, and he spends a few years of his life praying, asking God to make his path clear. Over time, he starts teaching kids about Scripture, and that seems to be going well for him for a while, but then the Spanish Inquisition comes along, and they think he's a heretic. They, they really question him, so they throw him in prison for a while. And when they finally take him out and try him, they realize, well, no, he's not a heretic. He's teaching scripture. He, everything's good. But they tell him, you can't teach anymore until you get an education, young man. 
And so they force him to go to seminary. And of all places, he goes to a seminary in France. Isn't that ironic? Eventually, he goes from France to Rome where he lives the rest of his life serving the church there. And he starts what becomes known as the Society of Jesus. That later becomes known as the Jesuits. His ministry and those who follow him was incredible. Preaching, teaching, caring for the sick, caring for the hospitalized, sheltering hundreds of homeless people themselves. They also open up some of the very first shelters to protect former prostitutes and victims of sex trafficking. I thought that was a new thing. No, really wasn't. He opened up several shelters throughout Italy to be able to care for these women and for their kids. He opened up several orphanages and even started several universities. Thirty-three colleges were started by the Jesuits before he died. He mentored hundreds of people throughout his adult years, and he wrote what became known as the spiritual exercises. I don't know if you've heard of these. I had not. But 500 years ago, he wrote this book called The Spiritual Exercises because it was a compilation of his life's work where he had studied, he had prayed, and he had determined how do you hear the voice of God in your life on a consistent basis. He wanted to be able to pass down to his fellow Jesuits and those who came after him how to know clearly how to hear the voice of God in your life consistently without question. And this book, if you look on Amazon, it is still being sold today by the thousands. It's still a very popular book, a very practical book on how to hear the voice of God. Ignatius was known to be intelligent, prayerful, and a little bit ambitious. He invested his life into helping people follow Christ and helping them hear the voice of God in any and every aspect of their lives. He was greatly influenced in his life by the Apostle Paul, especially the words that are found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 16. And that's where I want us to actually look this morning. I believe this is going to really speak to you. And this morning as I share this with you, I'm going to actually share it with you from the message paraphrase. Because sometimes you hear the voices of Scripture so often, for those of you who've been Christians a little bit longer, that the words just kind of wash over and they seem so familiar they don't stick. So I'm going to read it to you this morning from the message paraphrase. See how this speaks to you in your own life right now. Philippians 3, verse 7, it says this. The very credentials these people are waving around is something special. I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else that I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were important, were so important, are now gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ. God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner with him in suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there's any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it, he said. Paul 
came to a point in his life where just being a good person or even being a good religious person really had no appeal anymore. When Paul encountered Jesus, everything started to change in his life. Paul went from knowing about God to coming to truly know God. Like Ignatius, he started realizing that all the things that he had been pursuing in life were all wrong. Ignatius pursuing politics and the military and wealth and prestige. And for Paul, living for God, or so he thought, pursuing all these things to try to be righteous before God and realizing it's all just dog dung. Nothing else mattered in comparison to knowing Christ. When Paul came face to face with Jesus, nothing else mattered anymore. The same was true with Ignatius. The more we come to know Christ, the more we, our priorities in life start to change. The more our perspective in life starts to change. Many don't realize these things until they're close to death. And they're looking back at their life and they're realizing all the things they wish they would have done differently. The things that they thought were so important and now on their deathbed realize aren't important. But Christ gives us the ability to not wait till our deathbed, but instead to hear from him and follow him in the things that matter the most every single day of our lives. Paul's words in verse 10 here are, are perfect. He says, I don't know if you notice it. He says, I don't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules. When I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ. Fulfillment comes how? In life. From knowing and trusting in Jesus. Look at verses 12 through 14 of the message here. Notice what it says. He says, I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running and I'm not turning back. Paul's saying here, my life ain't perfect. I don't have everything figured out yet. But here's the one thing I do have. I have my eyes set on the goal. I have my eyes set on Jesus, and I am not turning back. Nothing is going to get me off track from that. In verses 13 and 14 in the New Living Translation, it's worded this way. It says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on. No regrets from the past. That's gone. That's done with. But I'm pressing on. I love how Isaiah chapter 30 speaks to this. Take a look at this. In verse 18, it says, The Lord waits for us to come to him. The Lord doesn't force himself upon us. The Lord waits for us to come to him. But it says that when we do, his love and compassion blesses us. And then it says in verses 20 through 22, your relationship doesn't, with God doesn't mean that your life is going to all of a sudden be perfect and nothing will ever go wrong. But it says that even in times of adversity, you will be able to hear the voice of God directing you in life. And the things that you once thought were so important in this life, God's words, it says, you'll toss them away like a menstrual cloth. That's how valuable they'll be to you in this life. Guys, as we listen carefully to God in this life and we come to know him, 
we start to change drastically. Not little minor tweaks here and there. When we come to truly know God, when we listen, when we truly surrender to Him, our passions in life start to change, our priorities in life start to change, and even our perspective to life as a whole starts to change. The things that we once thought were so important become trivial. Now, you may be hearing this today, and you might be saying, okay, Dave, I get it. Our lives will change if we just follow God. But, but how do we do that? I mean, that was the question you started with, right, Dave? How? How do we hear the voice of God? I want to hear. I try. But I just don't feel like I can sometimes. I feel like I'm talking to, to my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. How do I hear the voice of God in my life? Can I even hear the voice of God clearly and consistently in my life on a regular basis? Well, to that question, I would say absolutely yes. If you are a follower of Christ, Scripture clearly says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you to make sure that you can hear the voice of God any and at every point in your life. That's not a question. The Holy Spirit is living within you if you have decided to surrender your life to Christ. That was, Christ came to die on this earth so that that relationship with God could be restored and God could send His Spirit to come and live, dwell inside of us. So never again would we have to question, I wonder what God's plan for my life is. But again, how, right? How do we hear the voice of God? Well, in Ignatius' life, he took this uh, military mindset he had to this question. He decided as a young man who gave his heart to Christ in the ministry, he said, I want to know at any and every point in my life what God is saying to me. I never want to be at a place where I'm guessing. And so his life's mission was to figure out how to do that himself and how to help others do that. In fact, Ignatius was known as saying, undertake nothing in life without consulting God. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to give you a long list of some of the things he taught in that book. If you're interested, you can buy the book. But there are three things I particularly want to draw out that have been really impacting in my life that I think are very simple and practical that you might be able to use in your own life to be able to hear the voice of God at different times in your life. And the first one I want to share with you is actually a, it's a, the, it's called Lectio Divina. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this. This is a Latin word. It actually means the divine reading of Scripture. Now this passage, this word Lectio Divina, is actually one that's been used throughout the history of the church. Back to the, the very first centuries of the church, this spiritual practice was being used to hear the voice of God. And it kind of lost some traction in the Middle Ages and Ignatius helped pick it up but basically what it talks about is not just reading the Bible for information. So oftentimes we open up the Bible and it's like, okay, I'm supposed to read the next five chapters at my reading plan. And we just kind of read it for information. Lectio Divina involves going to Scripture and reading small passages at the time in order to be transformed by them. So let me show you the basic plan for how to do this. And he talks about this in his book. Uh, the first thing is that when you're going to read Scripture in this way, don't take this big section of Scripture, but just a few verses, and read the passage slowly, praying and asking God to help you to, to pay attention to the words you're reading. Maybe you ask God, God, there's a situation in my life, and would you just direct me to a passage that I could spend some time on today? 
And you don't just read it once, because again, you're not just reading it for information. You're reading it to be transformed by it, right? So you read that passage maybe two or three or four times, maybe even in different translations. And as you're doing so, you're asking God to help you see a word or phrase or verse that jumps off the page at you, that helps speak to you about what's going on in your life. In this process, you're praying and you're talking with God about the passage and about your life. You're asking God to remove any barriers that are there. And here's the hardest one, hardest part. As you're taking time to listen to God, you have to listen, to rest in silence. Don't rush the process and ask God to speak to you from Scripture about what He wants to say to you about your life. And as you do, you ask God to respond. Now, there's another derivation of this Lectio Divina that Ignatius talks about called contemplative prayer, where he talks about actually taking a story from one of the Gospels or one of the Old Testament stories, and he says, actually, put yourself in the scene of what's happening there. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes we play, we, we're watching a movie, and you, want, you place yourself in a movie and kind of think about what it would be like if you were in that movie. Well, he talks about that. He's like, put yourself in that scene and then picture that story happening. What are the things that you smell, the things that you hear? the things that you see and experience. And through that, asking God to help speak to you about what's going on in that story and how you can hear the voice of God more clearly. There's more information about both of these things in your online sermon notes today. I've given you some articles. I've given you a video or two to watch in, in the sermon notes at mygrace.church. So I'll kind of leave it there. But this is a practice I've used for years, and it's been really helpful at times for me to hear the voice of God. Now, the second one I want to share with you is something that Ignatius called the daily examine. And this is very simple. This is something you can practice for just a few minutes every day at the end of your day. I've never, I had never practiced this in my life until I went away on sabbatical and I read about this. And it became such a huge part of my life now that I just do this every single day. I never miss a day. For me, this is kind of like the highlight of my day most of the time. But around 5 o'clock, I leave the church and I drive off somewhere uh, I want to do it out. I usually spend my time outside for a few minutes as I do this before transitioning home. But it's taking a few moments to examine your day with Christ. And again, it involves a few simple steps. The first step involves gratitude. It involves thinking about what God has done in your day, the graces that you have seen from God in your day, and thanking God for His presence in your life. So oftentimes I've found that my perspective in life can be off because I'm always focused on the lack. I'm always focused on the things I'm wanting God to do and wanting to hear, the things that are disappointments in my life. And this is a way of, of just focusing yourself as you talk to God on truly what you can be grateful for. Then you, you go to God with your burdens, all those things that are weighing on your heart, those areas you want to hear from God. You bring those to God. But then this is the key part of the whole thing, a review of your day. You spend some time thinking through what has happened in your day. Those places where you feel like you've seen God present in your day. Those places where you feel like you've felt God's absence. And you consider those. Those places in your day that have brought you life, that have brought you joy. And those things that have just literally sucked the life out of you. And you talk with God about those and help God, ask God, God, would you help me to understand me and how you've wired me and what your plan and purpose is for me based on what I'm seeing? And what the cool thing is, is you do this over a period of weeks and months, you can hear God more and more clearly about the things that are important in your life. You, you sense with God what God's doing in your life. And I wrap up that time of examine by for asking God to forgive me of those places that I've fallen short 
and I ask God to help me in my next day to do the things that he has called me to do. And again, there's lots of tools in your online sermon notes about how to do this. I even have given you some audio clips that you can play. They're like 10 minutes long, and you can go home one afternoon after work and just play that, and it helps you to kind of process through what any, you know, with God what's happened in your day and what God might teach you through it. Now, one last one I want to share with you this morning, because for the sake of time, this is one that you might find really particularly important, and it's called discerning prayer. He talks, he spent most of his time talking about this. And the reason behind it is, you know, it's all the other things I share with you, those are things that you kind of do, you build into the rhythms of your life so that you get to know God more closely. You have a more dynamic uh, relationship with God and you're able to hear God more clearly on just a day-to-day basis. But what about those times in your life when it's like, okay, God, there's a decision I need to make right now and I need to hear from you. I don't, I don't have weeks or months to, to ponder this. I need to hear from you. What do you do in those situations? Well, he, has, he wrote a lot about this over the course of his life. I studied a lot of what he wrote. Basically, what I've done for you is I have boiled down a lot of what he wrote to just one simple sheet. And it's in your online sermon notes. It's just a few steps about how if you've got this pressing thing in your life and you just want to know God's direction in your life in that particular area... How to be able to hear from God with confidence on a consistent basis. So I'd encourage you, when you get home, open up your online sermon notes. Maybe print that sheet off and stick it in your Bible. And just keep that with you for those times in your life when life gets hard. And you want to hear from God, but you're having a difficulty doing so. It's my prayer that you will have confidence that you can hear God in any and every aspect of your life. And not just throw your hands up at times when it just seems too much. It's like, God, I, I, I can't seem to understand what you're saying. Because as we listen clearly to God, we come to know his heart. We do. That's something that each and, for each and every one of us, when we come to know God closely, intimately, we know his heart, and it starts to change us. Our heart, our emotions, our will becomes aligned with his, and we come to know God's will for our lives more and more clearly with every passing year. The Apostle Paul came to know this in his own life, and his life radically changed. In Philippians 3, verses 15 and 16, Paul said this. He said, so let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything God has for us, If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. You know, a few of you have asked me since I've been back in the last few weeks, Dave, were there any places that you traveled to that were the most meaningful to you, that were the most impacting to you while you were on your trip? And I would say, yes, there, ha- there were. And there were two in particular that had a tremendous impact on my life that I wasn't expecting. There were actually two places in Europe that most people don't even bother to visit when they go to Europe. But as I went into both of these places, I deeply encountered God. There were actually two bedrooms. <laughs> One was the bedroom of Ignatius, when he, the place that he stayed in 1521 as a young man with his busted up leg. And he was just angry, frustrated, looking for direction in his life. 
And in that room, he surrendered his heart to Jesus. I remember sitting in that room and just thinking about his life, thinking about what it must have been like for him as a 29-year-old man struggling and realizing even in my own life how as I was trying to hear God more clearly for the second half of my life, there were some struggles there, some things that I needed to surrender to God. The second place that was really meaningful to me was actually a place in Rome, and it was the bedroom in the apartment where he died in 1556, the place where he finished his race after giving his life to help people come to hear God more clearly. I remember in both of these rooms praying this simple prayer that Ignatius prayed throughout his life. He had found this prayer that had been written by the grandson of Charlemagne centuries earlier, and he had taken it as his own. And he constantly prayed this prayer over and over and over again throughout his life because he was so focused on hearing the voice of God. And as I was at both of these places, I would read this prayer, and God just really messed with me. God really broke me, and... um, it's a lot of the things that I came to realize that I thought were so important in my life, I realized really didn't matter all that much anymore. I want to share with you that prayer that he prayed. He said this, Take, Lord, receive all of my liberty, my freedom, my memory, my understanding, my entire will, all that I have and possess, In other words, he's saying, God, everything that you've given me, everything that I have held on to so tightly that has helped me make all these decisions in my life, he says, take it. He says, you have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. All is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. What if... We all made that our prayer today, to surrender everything to God. Our will, our memory, our understanding, everything that we hold on to so tightly, what if we surrendered everything to God? What would God do in your life if you yield your passions, your priorities, and your perspective to Him totally in this life? What if you decide today to maybe use some of these simple exercises that I've shared with you to take steps closer to God and go and spend so that you can spend your life in confidence knowing that you hear the voice of God in your life in any and every situation. I believe, Ignatius believes, and the Apostle Paul believed that you can hear the voice of God in your life at any moment if you are listening. And you're surrendered. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, even now as I uh, wrap up this message, and I thank you for opening up this passage from Philippians 13 to us today, or Philippians 3. God, I ask that you would help each one of us to know what it means to truly surrender. To surrender our will, our emotions, our heart to you. Lord, help us in those moments when we're feeling frustrated to know that we can hear your voice, to trust you, to surrender even that to you. And Lord, in those moments, we ask that you would speak loudly and clearly into our lives. 
Lord, some of us may be here today and this idea of surrender is really, really hard. We don't want to surrender because we've held on to things in this life that's meant so much to us. Ignatius was such a great example of that in his life as he pursued the pursued politics and he pursued the military and Lord you just kept snatching those things away from him until you got him to a place where the things that really mattered were there God would you do that same thing in us just be relentless God keep snatching away those things that we hold on to those false hopes those dreams those passions that are ours and we think are yours but really aren't and Lord, may we come to a place where we see those things as dog dung in comparison to knowing you fully. Lord, in this moment, we surrender our hearts and our lives totally to you. Lord, for some of us in this moment, we're, we would even say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Lord, would you come into my life Fill me with your Holy Spirit as I confess this sin that's been in my life, these things that have held me back from even having a relationship with you, God. God, I ask that you would come into my life and fill me and change me as I accept that you died on a cross 2,000 years ago so that I could have this relationship with you and truly live. In Jesus' name, amen.